Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry, with me as always, and thankfully, he is my constant companion, uh, is Duncan Castles, the transfer guru, and we have a packed pod for you today. Forgive us if we race through it, but as you know, you want to hear what's going on in football, that's why you come here. Duncan, we reported first that uh, Erling Haaland's move to Chelsea was progressing and that uh, personal terms for the player himself have been signed off by the Chelsea hierarchy. Of course, that deal has yet to be announced. The player is on holiday and a lot of our listeners are asking, well, why is it taking so long? Uh, well, we have been in touch with the people of matter and we can tell you that his agent, Mina Raiola, is keen to insert a get-out clause into Haaland's contract uh, in order that a move, his next move that is, after he moves from Dortmund, uh, is smooth and is also uh, concrete with regards to the payment and also uh, the structure and, of course, in Mino's case, Duncan, the commission. So Chelsea are not particularly keen on any get-out clause for any of their players. This is obviously um, something which is common in Spain, in La Liga, uh, and also in Serie A, and sometimes in the Bundesliga as well, because, of course, Haaland is coming from Borussia Dortmund and expects to be joining Chelsea before the new season begins. This is something which has to be ironed out uh, between both Raiola and Chelsea if this deal is going to be signed uh, in terms of both Dortmund and the player himself. Duncan, Marina Granovskaya, we have learned a lot about in the years that she's been at Stamford Bridge. She is a fairly hard-nosed negotiator, probably only second to uh, Daniel Leverage, our old friend, which who we'll be talking about in due course. Can you see Raul getting this past Granovskaya, or do you think that this could actually become something of an obstacle with regards to the move itself? Depends how badly Chelsea want to do the deal. Um, when you broke the story of, of Chelsea's agreement on the those substantial personal terms that Mino Raiola and um, Erling Haaland's father are seeking for the player and an agreement on commission, um, we did talk about how Chelsea had, had seen the opportunity to take advantage of other clubs not being prepared to spend the money that was required to get uh, Haaland this summer um, in much the same way as they went and got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz last summer at big, big prices but at a time when other clubs weren't prepared to spend um, it does look as though Raiola, who had been marketing Haaland as a player that you have one chance to buy and you keep for 10 years and, and he was marketing here to Real Madrid to Barcelona um, to Manchester City to Manchester United does seem that he's thinking that if it's going to be Chelsea, I might have the opportunity to insert an ability to move to another club 
at a later stage because Chelsea aren't necessarily the club that keeps their star players right to the limit. We've seen them sell Eden Hazard in recent years when the money was right. We've seen them sell Thibaut Courtois when he pushed to to be allowed to leave. So it does appear that what Raul is doing is giving himself, trying to give himself an opportunity to move Haaland again at substantial money um, with a release clause that might... Uh, ratchet down per season according um, to how many years Haaland stays at the club um, rather than doing that deal to Madrid where or Barcelona or other of the top top clubs where you're selling the player with the with no um, accessible release clause because obviously if he moves to Spain he has to have a release clause by law but the clubs can make it as high as they like um, and, and make it effectively unattainable if they're smart, as Barcelona haven't been in recent years over their release clauses, um, for another club to buy the player. So I think I think you're getting a sense of the the tension in the deal and that this wouldn't have been Haaland's first choice and wouldn't have been Raiola and, and Father's first choice, um, but might be the only thing that they can get to happen this summer. At, at the elevated transfer fee and for the commission and, and, and salaries they've been asking for um, and therefore try and structure it in a way that they they have a, a second chance at a big move and um, I'm sure by this stage they're well aware that Roman Abramovich wants this deal to happen and that uh, that he's driving this attempt to get the top one of the top strikers on the market because Kylian Mbappe is on the market as well now ahead of competition and therefore there will be a, a pressure on Granovskaya um, to make it happen Isn't it lovely that um, a player who has admittedly been prolific in scoring goals in Germany and Austrian football um, is effectively you know, being uh, halted, if you like, in his way uh, of joining the European champions. Yes, champions of Europe. Um, not good enough for Erling Haaland, aged 20. Uh, however, um, Raiola is a very shrewd operator, as you all know, because we like to um, basically expose his business dealings on the Transfer Window podcast whenever we can. Mr. Raiola, Duncan. Manchester United are involved in a complex negotiation which could possibly see Paul Pogba leave Old Trafford and Cristiano Ronaldo return to Old Trafford with Pogba going in the other direction to Juventus. Now, this kind of... We see things like the stars aligning and in this particular case, it does feel like that... Maybe the um, the gravitation in terms of uh, you have reported that Ronaldo wants to leave Serie A. Uh, we know that Pogba is unhappy and wants to leave Manchester United. And indeed, one uh, senior person at Manchester United uh, whom I had a conversation with uh, this week said, "Have you seen Paul Pogba at the Euros?" He plays like a dreamliner 
uh, for France and then doesn't even turn up every other Saturday for us. Now, if that's the feeling inside the Manchester United dressing room, then this would appear to be more of an ongoing uh, concern than perhaps some people are giving it credit for because, as we reported in March of this year, uh, an invitation to Raiola to come in to United and negotiate an extension on Pogba's contract had been repeatedly revoked. And that still is the case. There are no current negotiations to uh, extend Pogba's contract at Manchester United, a contract which runs out at the end of next season. Um, Duncan, you have great insight into the world of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it's just a shame you don't get to share the private jet as much as you'd like to. Um, but uh, that, uh, disparring that particular inconvenience for you, um, do you think that there is a, a real possibility of Ronaldo returning? There is a real possibility of him returning for reasons we've described in the podcast for some months now. Um, Juventus will not say this publicly, but Juventus are prepared to let Cristiano Ronaldo leave this summer. The new manager of Juventus, returning manager, Max Allegri, again, he won't say this publicly, but he has now got control of, of transfers. That was one of the conditions that he demanded in order to return to the club, in order to turn down what was essentially an agreed deal with Real Madrid and go back to Juventus instead. Um, Allegri knows that the that Juventus have serious financial problems. He wants to make significant changes to the squad. Allowing Cristiano Ronaldo to leave and opening up that salary to work on with other players is a very appealing option to him. And if a deal can be structured which works for him, he's prepared to go along with that. We told you a few weeks ago in the podcast that Allegri has a very good relationship with Paul Pogba. Um, spent a lot of time developing that relationship when they were playing together. Um, they enjoy each other's company. And we told you that Allegri would be open to bringing Pogba back if that was something that was made available to him. Now you have Mino Raiola proposing that deal. My information is that Raiola is suggesting that Manchester United and uh, Juventus do a straight swap for two players who've got one year of contract left. Pogba goes to... Juventus, back to Juventus, where he was so successful. Cristiano Ronaldo go back, goes back to Manchester United, where he was so successful. Um, and the two clubs call it quits. Now, that might be structured in an FFP swap deal, so, so figures are placed on the value of both players. That would certainly be more appealing to Juventus, who need to do that to improve their books and to, to pass what's left of FFP. Manchester United, not so important, but would still look good on the stock exchange for them. Ronaldo has been offered to Manchester United. Manchester United have said that they are interested but have not acted on the deal. Um, the guidance and uh, the information that Manchester United were talking about in, in transfer discussions was that they would take one of a right winger or a centre forward in this window. But now you have presented to them with Jaden Sancho's deal close, they're, they're confident they're going to get they're going to complete that deal. You now have presented to them a a way of getting Cristiano Ronaldo back to Manchester United with all its commercial appeal, 
and uh, an appeal to the supporters at a time when the Glazers need good, P- good PR and a way to solve the problem they have with Paul Pogba. Because if Pogba continues with his stance that he's not going to sign a new contract, they lose him for nothing in a year's time. He runs his contract down, he goes for nothing. Um, embarrassing for them to lose their, their record transfer in that way. Instead, they can get the benefits of Ronaldo and move them in a deal which will be appealing to the supporters and which would give um, Solskjaer even stronger attacking options up front, uh, would allow them to move on Anthony Martial as, as they've been trying to do switch between Ronaldo and Edinson Cavani as the centre-forward position with Mason Greenwood operating in, in amongst them. It, it, you can see why they're looking at it, but um, the people close to Ronaldo are saying, we still don't have definitives on this. We, we know that that proposal is in play, but we don't know if Manchester United are, are going to advance it. So this, I think, is being driven on the player's side. And it's being driven because the players want moves and there are limited options for them. Pogba's preference is Real Madrid, but Real Madrid don't want to do that deal. Florentino Perez doesn't want to do that deal. The only other club available to Cristiano Ronaldo is Paris Saint-Germain, who are also an option for Pogba. But Juventus, a place he's succeeded before and a place where he has that relationship with Allegri. So I think that's... That's why Raiola is trying to make this happen. You have an added factor with Raiola in that, again, something we talked about in the podcast a long time ago is that his relationship with Pogba isn't the greatest. And uh, other agents have been hovering around thinking that they could take over the representation of Pogba. So Raiola needs to, to try and make a deal happen this summer and satisfy his client and get the commission while he's, he's still working for him. So, so I think this is something that's being driven by the players and agents and being driven by the pressures on the clubs that are, are moving the players out. And, and it's, it's something that has become feasible because you're in a, a COVID market where these sort of very high profile swap deals are being seriously talked about by just about every major club in, in European football at present. Well, um, it's certainly the case that um, Cristiano Ronaldo's 307 million, yes, 307 million Instagram followers will be welcome at Manchester United, Duncan. We know how they love a bit of social media uh, exposure. And um, I'm sure that uh, the powers that be would be very impressed when it comes to uh, a Ronaldo return, should he bring all those followers with him, which I'm sure he would. just to update you on the Jaden Sancho deal to United, it is our information here at the Transfer Window podcast that contracts have now been drawn up both for the player and uh, for Borussia Dortmund to sign by Manchester United's lawyers and have been sent to the representatives of both parties in order that they can approve, sign, and return and that that deal will get done after England's interest in Euro 2020, one year late, uh, is ended. Um, that is the hold-up, if it can be described as that, with regards to Jaden Sancho. Duncan, in all of the 
swirling hubris that's been going on in terms of managerial changes. And we'll come on to Everton and Crystal Palace in, in a little bit. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo has re-emerged, as you reported last week, as the candidate that Spurs are looking at. Um, now, just give us the latest as well as the ins and outs of this particular deal, because clearly there are issues with regards to their um, Harry Kane, uh, the deputy captain, as well as um, the fact that, well, basically what's going to happen with regards to recruitment and sales um, with Daniel Levy this summer in order to make them a feasible and credible challenger for major silverware um, next season. Yeah, we, we said to you, watch out for Nuno Espirito Santo being offered um, to Daniel Levy by his new uh, managing director, football Fabio Paratici, after the, the deals um, for Fonseca, Julian Lopetegui and Gennaro Gattuso either fell apart because the uh, candidate stepped aside in Lopetegui's case or because Tottenham um, backed away from agreed deals uh, with Fonseca and Gattuso. There's been a lot of discussion since then. Um, we're recording here in the afternoon um, on Wednesday and the latest information I have is that they've now got to the stage where they are discussing details of contract with Nuno Espirito Santo that offer is there. Um, in principle, Nuno has agreed to take over as coach, but um, details have to be ironed out. And there is there's an optimism that he will be the next manager of Tottenham, but also a caution because of what happened with Lopetegui and more importantly, what happened with Paulo Fonseca and Gennaro Gattuso. And um, if you want to go back to the podcast we did after the Gattuso deal fell apart, you'll, you can get the details on that. Sources close to Tottenham um, have, uh, have said that uh, Daniel Levy was not uh, involved in, in pulling the plug on those deals. Um, other interpretations are available uh, should you wish to uh, think about what happened. Um, <laughs> But classic, classic BBC there, Duncan. <laughs> but um, look, it, it's clear Tottenham need to get an answer to this. They they need a coach in place uh, to start pre-season next week. Um, they need to f work more carefully on recruitment uh, and with the identity of the new manager known uh, and tailor that recruitment according to to who he is. Um, Nuno has proven Premier League quality and, and also has has done well at other clubs and other um, areas in the past. He is not perceived as being an exciting coach and an attacking coach and doesn't fit the profile that uh, Daniel Levy um, stated in his apology to Tottenham fans. At least he doesn't fit the per perceived profile of that. But... Um, Look, I, I think it's a it's a it's a safe appointment because um, he because he is competent and organised and should um, do well with the resources available to him. Um, well, it's safe it's safe until he gets sacked, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I 
safe safe for Tottenham um, in in the sense that uh, they're hiring a good professional. What happens with Harry Kane is, of course, fascinating. Um, I can tell you that in the discussions that uh, that Paulo Fonseca had with Tottenham, extensive discussions. Remember, he had agreed a, con- a deal with them, agreed a contract, and and that fell through a week later, which led to the the rushed pursuit of Gennaro Gattuso. Um, he was told that Harry Kane would not be sold this summer. Um, Harry Kane is very much pushing for that move. We've seen his public statements. My understanding is nothing has changed since then. Manchester City have made a, an offer for Kane. Uh, my guidance on, on the, dim, the dimension of the offer is that it was £100 million exactly. Um, and uh, the sense is that it was a statement that uh, that Manchester City wanted to make, that they were serious, there was proper money on the table. Um, make a decision, Daniel Levy, as to whether you want to hold the player against as well or whether you're going to take that cash and use it to uh, restructure a squad which has been proven to be unfit for purpose because Mar- Maurizio Pochettino was, wasn't able to produce the level of performance he originally was able to produce at Tottenham and and said that changes were required. Jose Mourinho also wasn't able to produce the level of performance that was expected of Tottenham and said that changes were required. If you know you've got to do work, if you, uh, you've publicly stated that your finances are are some of the most challenging in, in European football because of what's happened with COVID and the, the massive investment in the statement, here is some money to go and do with uh, and, and solve those problems um, with your new managing director football. Just my suspicion, um, but if you are coming in as Fabio Paratici has done um, to to be the sports director and supposedly to have total control of the football side of the club delegated to you, uh, with the chairman Daniel Levy stepping away and only getting involved in the, the financial side of deals, you probably want that kind of money to play with. You'd, you'd want that kind of money to operate in the market um, when you've only been appointed midway through a summer market. But that's just my interpretation of how, how, how things would be. And obviously, um, whatever the briefing is from Tottenham about Daniel Levy stepping away from the football side, um, He's a man who will be very careful when it comes to approving or um, preventing a deal for the play for the, his club's most important player happening or not. Well, for our um, very good friends in um, South Korea, including JHH, uh, we'd like to say that um, we are pleased to report that Paratici has been watering the office plants uh, as has been designated his main job by Daniel Levy and uh, appointing a new manager. Uh, he might actually just grow one instead uh, in one of the plant pots with a little bit of fertiliser. Let's see how that goes. I certainly would like to see the translation of that in South Korea and Jehi, whenever you get the chance. Speaking of which, Duncan, uh, along with Harry Kane as a target for Manchester City, uh, it is the case that they're looking in central defence to augment what was a very impressive performance in their Premier League winning season last year. Uh, 
speaking to sources at the club, they have uh, opted to strengthen from a position of strength. Therefore, uh, they have identified, and Guardiola has asked for, um, a striker, a central defender, and also left back. Now, particular of interest here, Duncan, is the central defending uh, point, because obviously uh, City have spent in excess of £150 million on central defenders and are now definitely trying to sell one and marketing them aggressively in European football. And also, despite the fact he's currently starring for England in the Euros, uh, not necessarily confident about another. Well, we should also add that they, on top of that list, they they want uh, Jack Grealish um, and are are prepared to go to similar levels as as they're offering for Harry Kane uh, to get him out of Aston Villa, who who will try and hold on to the player, but um, know that 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 is difficult when you have Manchester City coming in for him. Centre back, he'd he'd be great at centre back because he would just fall over all the time. And get fouls in his own area. So you know. increasingly a tactic for modern centre backs. So yeah, we could probably <laughs> teach even, so, te- well, teach even say, a group of Guardiola centre backs. Um, we're going to go for we're going to go from tactical fouling to tactically being fouled. <laughs> um, but yes, this is this is something that uh, that City are working on at present, and it, it's part of it's driven by a medical report um, and. Pep Guardiola finally realising that Americ Laporte wasn't the centre-back he um, built him up to be and that uh, having a centre-back who's very good at passing the ball with his left foot doesn't necessarily win you the Champions League if that centre-back makes uh, errors in key games and and gets caught out positionally. So Laporte um, was dumped pretty unceremoniously from the starting eleven by Guardiola last season. He ended up with playing just 37% of minutes in the Premier League, 24% of minutes in the Champions League. He is phenomenally well paid. He was the best paid centre-back in the Premier League until Virgil van Dijk um, moved to Liverpool. He's on £7 million net a year. Um, he is 27 and he is obviously not happy with being a backup to John Stones and Ruben Gias. Um there is interest in Laporte in Spain, particularly from Barcelona. Problem, as with all these Barcelona deals, is yes, they want top players, but they don't have much cash to play with and they're trying to um, structure swap deals and offer players in exchange. But uh, Chiqui Bergeristan in particular is aware that he has an issue with the Laporte-Guardiola relationship. Laporte wants to go... Laporte now playing for Spain, having changed his uh, nationality um, and doing well in the Euros, which could help City sell him. Um, And if he was to go to Barcelona, he would form a partnership with Eric Garcia, um, who's just left City and and has been playing with him in the national team, obviously played with him at City too. So there's a lot of things pushing in that direction, but they need to get a replacement in. And... On top of this is the consideration that while the John Stones Ruben Gias partnership worked impressively well last season, John Stones 
kind of dragging his career back from a point where City would have been prepared to sell him, um, sorting out his off-field behaviour, focusing more on football. Uh, while that's working for them, I think there's a sense at Manchester City that it might not work indefinitely. So not only do they need another body in to replace Laporte, in an ideal world, they're thinking um, we want a top centre back in uh, in case the Stones' resurgence and performance does not last and we need someone to pair with Ruben Gias going forward. And and let's face it, City have never had any hesitation when it comes to spending big on centre-backs. Um, they have remarkably um, bought nine defenders for a transfer fee commitment of €45 million Euros or, or more during the Abu Dhabi era, plus two starting international goalkeepers. Um, the majority of them all bought for, for Guardiola. Um, so they know the value of a top quality defender and have not hesitated in, in getting them in the past. Um, there are a number of potential candidates and there, there are individuals available on the market. We talked last week about Jules Kunde, who Manchester United have made an offer for and had an offer rejected by Sevilla, 45 million euros. Um, Kunde would be available if the money is right, um, although they would have to go to a high fee to get him out of Sevilla. Uh, you have Pau Torres at Villarreal, similar scenario, and left-footed, which is the preference if they can get a left-footed centre-back. Uh, if you want to go for a domestic candidate, then you have Ben White uh, at Brighton um, and in the national team at present, um, who has a lot of the characteristics you'd expect to see in a, in a Manchester City Guardiola centre-back. Um, I understand there's been some sort of preliminary conversations between City and Ben White um, and they now have a, situ a situation, a scenario where Arsenal have made an offer that Brighton have rejected. Um, so you have that, that competition and, and a sense that Ben White is likely to move this summer. So if, if he is the one they decide to go for, then they'll need to do it now. But my guidance is that they have three or four um, candidates on this list they're working actively on it um, but they need to get Laporte out um, to uh, to create the space and on on their um, on their wage bill and uh, generate a bit of income to put towards a transfer fee so what you're saying is Laporte's being shown the door I think he's shown himself the door um, <laughs> essentially uh, with his with his performances. If only our sub-editors had the gift of being multilingual. <laughs> Look, you, and it's very it's very difficult to retain a player of, of that status and that salary, even, even as Abu Dhabi, even as Manchester City, even as a club that wants to have um, two elite players in each position of the field and the squad. If the player's unhappy, it's difficult to keep him in the squad. And he's already had, you know, the best part of a season in that position. And, you know, they have this issue with uh, with Raheem Sterling too, um, in that Sterling had a, a fallout with Guardiola. And um, they they need to come to a solution with, with Sterling having two years left in his contract, um, where Sterling is either made happy and and reintegrated as a as a standard first choice in the team, 
or they find somewhere to move them to because because it, it's tough if you're a top England international who not so long ago was pushing to be put on a salary equivalent to Kevin De Bruyne. Um, you don't want to be a, a rotational player in, in a Manchester City side, just as Laporte doesn't want to be a rotational player in a Manchester City side. I think you have, Ian, you also have some information on Sergio Ramos, who's been linked with City um, as yes. a potential centre-back addition this summer. Look, as, um, as much as many of us have um, a somewhat grudging um, admiration for Sergio Ramos over the years because of his achievements at Real Madrid and his style of play. Um, I understand that uh, the feeling amongst the Manchester City hierarchy with regards to recruiting Ramos uh, as a player who can obviously come in and do a particular job for a year, maybe two years, etc., etc., on a very high wage, but with no transfer fee because he is under freedom of contract, is um, slightly, if not um, fully sceptical. And that's because uh, Guardiola and Ramos, in terms of personality, is a car crash waiting to happen, was the phrase used um, when I had this conversation. Uh, with someone involved uh, in the potential deal at City. Uh, that being the case, uh, then, unlike Thiago Silva, who, uh, despite injury and COVID, uh, made a real um, fist of it at Chelsea in his first season and obviously uh, helped that team to win the Champions League, uh, Ramos is highly unlikely to sign for Manchester City. Uh, and therefore uh, will be looking elsewhere, potentially and ironically, maybe even Chelsea with regards to teaming up with Silva, where you've got effectively a superstar uh, central defensive pairing, Um, albeit, yes, they are over 35, yes, um, maybe not as quick or... uh, as athletic as they once were, but with their level of experience between the two of them, it could be outstanding, potentially, uh, if paired together. So um, just watch out for Ramos, Chelsea, and Ramos generally in the Premier League, because centre-halves are at a premium, that's for sure. Um, it's interesting what you say, Duncan, about Ben White, uh, with regards to the Arsenal link and also... Uh, Manchester City, Arsenal desperately, desperately, and as we said, aggressively marketing some of their higher paid players in order to um, put money back into the budget with regards to how the club moves forward. Uh, Alexandra Lacazette is one of the players that they are desperate to sell. Um, In doing so, they would get a transfer fee they don't mind. Uh, if the fee is obviously less than what they paid for the player because his contract is so expensive that they would happily accept a lower fee in order to get him off the wage bill and in doing so make room for younger and uh, players who Mikel Arteta has identified as the future, if you like, of Arsenal rather than the present or the past. 
So um, Arsenal um, very much um, in a position where they need to sell before they can buy. Um, there has been some uh, difficulties with payment schedules that they have proposed to certain clubs with regards to players that they're interested in. Um, and when I say that, what I mean, Duncan, is that they have proposed uh, lower uh, dealings with regards to the uh, transfer fee payment um, over the course of the recruiting players contract. Uh, that's not necessarily something which uh, clubs who are selling are interested in because obviously they want to reinvest that money. And at the moment, interest rates are not good with regards to amortising and uh, loading uh, against um, the purchase of players with uh, a loan deal uh, with private equity or indeed a bank, etc., etc. So um, that is something they have to consider and something which they are currently doing. The Sergio Ramos one's really interesting because you have you have on the market a player for nothing who is one of the most storied centre-backs in European football and, and in principle you would think there's a solution for Manchester City. He's the new Vincent company. Um, yes, you have to pay a high wage um, but maybe not as high a wage as you would have in the past because he has been basically kicked out of Real Madrid by Florentino Perez and, and replaced by, by He's David trouble, Alaba. Duncan. He's yeah. trouble. That that that's the that's the issue. He's a guy who wants to run the dressing room and wants to run the club, which is why Perez ask ask Zidane, ask Jose Mourinho, you know about Ramos's influence in that dressing room while they were head coach. Even Carlo Ancelotti, prior in his first spell at Madrid, will tell you, yes, he is an incredible personality. His mental strength. And uh, the influence he has on other players uh, can be a force for good and for victory. However, maybe, not maybe, the time has obviously come where he can no longer uh, be trusted to be a force for good because he has been behind either the undermining or sacking of several coaches in uh, ways that have been clandestine and therefore if you invite the lion <laughs> into your cage either you know how to deal with it and it's probably not with a chair and a whip. Yeah and <laughs> you're looking at Pep Guardiola here who is a manager who's renowned for um, preferring younger players who will follow his instructions to the letter who's fallen out with um, older, uh, more opinionated players on a, on a number of occasions, and and you, the fit seems very difficult with with Sergio Ramos. Ramos's camp has briefed this week that Manchester City are interested, um, also that Paris Saint Germain and Bayern are interested, but there's been a sense along with that brief that Ramos's family are not particularly keen to move to Manchester. Um, on Arsenal. Uh, you're talking about the need to get money in before they can do deals. Um, I can tell you that uh, when it comes to one of the strikers they're interested in signing as a replacement for Lacazette, um, they have still not 
put a formal offer on the table to Eintracht Frankfurt for Andre Silva. Um, the, the, there's been some reporting that um, Frankfurt have agreed to sell Andre Silva to Leipzig now, um, something we mentioned as a, as a possibility on the podcast when we talked about Arsenal's interest in in the Portuguese international. I'm told that while there are discussions ongoing, there is no agreement between Leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt over the transfer fee as yet, and that uh, Silva hasn't committed to Frankfurt as yet. I think that what has happened in the meantime was something, again, something we flagged up was that Pat Sandaka, who was Leipzig's preferred option for the position, um, has moved from RB Salzburg to Leicester City. So they now have to place more focus on on the Andre Silva deal. And um, at present, although Silva's preference would be to play in England, they are in the box seat to do that because they have been able to at least to make a, a, a financial offer to Eintracht Frankfurt for the player, not one that's acceptable to the, to their fellow Bundesliga club, but they're dealing with numbers. Uh, as opposed to talking about possibilities and uh, and a desire to sign the player if, um, in Arsenal's case, they can move Lacazette on. As you all know, um, as uh, the Transfer Window podcast community, we are dog lovers. We are dog people here. And uh, we were very upset, clearly, uh, for Jose Mourinho when he lost his Yorkshire Terrier, Leah, on Christmas Day. Um, of this uh, last year having uh, gone. And Duncan, you reckon maybe Josie's been sold a pup when it comes to Roma, um, and one perhaps that he didn't expect because uh, he's finding life a little difficult uh, in regards to negotiating his new job and also what he needs in terms of recruitment. Yeah, and you, you you're very smooth at these links usually, but that one was that was that was a bit of a stretch. Is that dreadful? Is that dreadful? <laughs> but, but I I, just, I, want, I wanted to mention Leah. That's all. <laughs> God but, rest her soul. But you're right about you're you're right about the suspicion that um, that Mourinho may have jumped too quickly into the Roma job. Um, there were significant promises over recruitment made to Mourinho um, when he agreed very rapidly after uh, being sacked by Tottenham Hotspur to to go to Roma, a club that is not without its problems and hasn't been without its problems for a long, long time now. Um, But as it stands in this summer window, the Friedkin family are not providing the resource to do deals. Um, Mourinho wants a lot of change. Uh, in all areas of the, of the field um, and, and feels it's important to freshen up the squad, move players who are unhappy out or not up to standard out. Um, my guidance is that uh, the sports director at, at Roma, who's also relatively newly appointed and was pivotal in, in Mourinho um, going to Roma, he proposed a deal um, almost as a joke to uh, Mourinho's representatives and was surprised and, and happy when Mourinho came back and said, yes, I'm interested in talking. But my understanding is that he is also struggling in this market and feels that he's he's working with with difficult 
conditions. Um, an example of this is the deal for Rui Patricio to uh, to move from Wolverhampton Wanderers and become the the new goalkeeper at Roma. Um, Wolves are happy to do that. They have prepared um, a replacement who will be Jose Sa from Olympiacos, another Portugal national team goalkeeper. Um, but uh, they have been working on negotiations on the transfer fee for several weeks now. This has been in play for a while now. Roma have offered 10 million euros um, for Rui Patricio and Wolves' position is that that's not enough money. They, they expect Roma to have to increase that offer um, to get fair value for Rui Patricio. Um, my guidance is Mourinho has been putting pressure on Roma to complete um, but they can't get that deal over the line. And there's some people now concerned that it might not happen at all um, and that uh, Romo will end up going elsewhere for the goalkeeper target. Um, Rupert is very much Mourinho's preferred uh, candidate for that position. And I don't think it's the only position where he's having problems um, getting Roma to go with individuals he's recommending as as uh, new recruits uh, and and getting players in before pre-season starts, which is always his preference. Um, yeah, it's it does have a sense of turning into the problem club that it's been for a lot of coaches for a long time, very rapidly and more rapidly than than people expected. Um, and there'll, there'll need to be significant change in the way they're handling the market, uh, the way the American owners are are providing resources to the sports director and to the coach to handle the market. Um, if they're to get together a squad that um, that those two I'd hope to have in place for the, the start of the season. Before we uh, get on to the hero and villains uh, section of the first podcast of the week, we're going to complete the Manager Meadowground uh, chat uh, with Duncan. And the first up on this is Fulham. Let many of you ask, um, can you give us information on some of the clubs who are outside of the top six? And you ask and we provide. Duncan, tell us who's in talks with Fulham. Yeah, um, so Scott Parker obviously left to to join Bournemouth and Fulham need a... Were, were you surprised, Duncan, that Parker left? Yes, I, I think I was. I'm surprised that, that Fulham have, have lost um, someone who was praised, um, I think, from, from a lot of areas of, of the English game for the, the aggressive manner in which he had Fulham playing and the... And the you know, that attempt they had to stay in the Premier League at the end of last season. Parker was being mentioned for some of the top jobs in English football and and uh, he was quite strongly linked, for example, with the, the Tottenham Hotspur job, but has, has ended up going to Bournemouth. Um, I understand that Fulham are talking to a number of candidates and one of the, the candidates they've had fairly extensive discussions with is Marco Silva. Um, Silva is looking to get back into football in England uh, or in the UK. Um, had quite extensive discussions as well with West Bromwich Albion. My guidance was that he chose not to take the West Brom job because he felt that the um, 
the circumstances and the uh, around it with the with the owners um, being open to to selling the club uh, and the resources available were probably not the best platform from which to work again. And again, my guidance is that with Fulham, um, he will want to be convinced that uh, that the Can family have uh, a project in place where there is a good chance. Um, if he does his job as a coach of getting them back in the Premier League and then prospering once they're in the Premier League. Our brief here at the Gentleman Window podcast is that the appointment of Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace is imminent. Um, it was certainly the case that after considering several candidates uh, for the job, uh, they decided that they wanted to move from the diplomatic, let's just say, um, uh, and level-headed uh, wisdom of Roy Hodgson to a younger coach and in doing so with Patrick Vieira that certainly is what they're going to get uh, someone who has managed at New York City and also in uh, Ligue 1 as well and they have sold that job to Vieira on the basis that they would like him to develop academy players into the first team as well as of course coach uh, a club which has become an established member of the Premier League but Duncan probably the managerial story of the week it has to be said is our old friend Rafael Benitez who has been confirmed as the next coach of Everton replacing Carlo Ancelotti who of course has moved to Real Madrid. Um, Benitez becomes only the second manager to uh, coach both Liverpool and Everton. Uh, it is our um, understanding that he has been given guarantees uh, regarding investment in the club and spending, that there was a meeting uh, between Benitez and his representatives uh, with uh, Moshiri, uh, Bill Kenwright, and uh, Usmanov in London on Monday. Uh, also, we understand that Benitez spoke to his predecessor, uh, Ancelotti, before that meeting to ask uh, what it had been like managing uh, the Merseyside Club, uh, which was a positive conversation. Uh, Ancelotti, of course, um, didn't quite exactly fill or fulfill expectations, but uh, at the same time um, was given um, a lot of freedom with regards to the transfer market. Benitez has also been assured that he will have money to spend in order to improve the squad ahead of the challenge of next season with the aim of playing European football and also being in the space where they are uh, considered to be on the up in terms of challenging Duncan. Um, it's an interesting one because obviously Benitez has history. Uh, he's spoken um, in slightly derogatory terms, you would say, uh, about uh, Liverpool's uh, noisy neighbours, uh, or not so noisy neighbours, if you want to say that. Um is he damaging his legacy with Liverpool, where he won, obviously, the Champions League? Or 
is he actually just doing his job as a head coach? Because everyone's a big job. He obviously managed Newcastle and Chelsea in circumstances where they came up against Liverpool. Are people being a little bit judgmental a bit too soon? I don't think Rafa Benitez is particularly concerned with the perception of Liverpool supporters um, as to his legacy in inverted commas. This is an opportunity to coach a club with significant resources, albeit they're having problems getting them into the first team and they've got big financial issues to solve. But there is massive money behind the club if they can find a way to get through, get it around the rule book and, and get it into the squad. They've spent heavily on on coaches and on players um, since uh, the takeover. Um, it's, a, it's a job near his family home, which is obviously attractive to him. So it's pretty much the highest profile job in English football you could imagine Benitez getting at present. And I think I think that's the reason why he's taking it. The bigger question is, can it work for Everton when the supporters are against it? And when you look at what Benitez has done as a coach in recent seasons and, and his time in China was not successful, and you can I'm sure he'll give you all kinds of reasons why it wasn't successful. His time at Newcastle was a perceived success and Newcastle United supporters would like him to return to the club and he would, definitely was a, had local hero status there. But the football he played was supremely pragmatic. Um, it, it was successful in keeping them in the division. Um, but if he goes in and starts playing that kind of football at Everton with the support already against them, I think it's going to get messy rapidly. And, and, I th and I'm fascinated to see if he can um, play a different style and succeed with that squad of players um, in a background where, you know, it's, it's the polar opposite of what Ancelotti went into. Ancelotti was warmly welcomed because Everton supporters couldn't believe they'd got a, a coach of, of that status. Um, and I think Ancelotti, when results started to go against them, um, still had a positive image amongst the support, the majority of support, because of the way he he handles press and the, his likability as an individual. Benitez is going to find it very hard to play those same cards if he gets into trouble. Well, I'd kind of like to just put this out there, but if, as you say, Duncan, it gets messy rapidly, then he's going to be in a good position because, you know, number 10 jersey is available. Um, <laughs> Everyone have got the money. Uh, why not? <laughs> Let's 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 bring him to the Premier League. Um, I'm going to push us on uh, because time is uh, short and not on our side. To hero and villain and Rafa features heavily. I seem to think uh, on this particular one. Um, my hero uh, of this week is Rafa Benitez. A sentence I thought I'd never say, uh, given Rafa and I's history, uh, and anyone who wonders what that might ensue. Then 
you know, you know where to go. You'll find it out. Um, um, but, you know, I, I, I genuinely um, believe that uh, in terms of Derby, in terms of city rivalries, in terms of teams who uh, feel that particular um, amount of, uh, I don't know, reticence, let's just, let's, let's be mild about it against you know, their rival team in, in the city. Um, Liverpool's not the worst. Glasgow is bad. Milan is bad. Istanbul, don't even go there. Uh, well, do go there. It's a great city. Um, but just don't go to the game of Fenner versus uh, uh, Gala uh, whenever you get the chance. Although, again, do, because it's great. Um, however, Duncan, I hear all of these kind of like um, glassy-eyed tales of elder fans of both Everton and Liverpool about the old days when they sat beside each other and families of the blue and white and the red and, you know, would sit together and they would watch the games together, blah, blah, blah. And yet, here we are in a situation where before the managers even announced, you get both sides of the city condemning it, calling it out and criticising it. And I think Benitez is quite brave to take this on. You know, he's, as I said, he's the second manager in the history of Liverpool's two main football clubs to take on this challenge. And as I said, I, I, you know, again, my history with Rafa Benitez personally is checkered in terms of our disagreements and agreements. But I praise him for his bravery and for taking on this particular challenge and saying, you know what, I am up for this and I'm going to try and make it work uh, against probably the strongest Liverpool team there's been in around, obviously, 30 years. So um, Rafa Benitez is my hero and I am really, really interested to hear who your villain is. Um, another coach has been talking about challenges and... and uh... Cultural challenges uh, is villain of the week. Ange Postecoglou, yeah, the the newly installed Celtic coach, um, another fascinating appointment because um, I think Celtic were presented with candidates of uh, who on paper would certainly look more accomplished than Postecoglou, and they've taken a massive risk to take someone who has never coached in European football, very successful in the Asian game. Um, won the title with Yokohama F Marinos, um, successful in Australia too. So, yeah, yes, they they you can talk about the bravery of Celtic, um, but I was fascinated to see Postecoglou when when asked about the the challenge and the cultural challenge of of moving from Asian football, Australian football, Japanese football to the Scottish game, um, talking about there being no bigger cultural challenge than coaching in a country where you don't speak the language and saying that I did that in Japan. Um, that would seem, I think, for a lot of uh, listeners to those words as you know, a reasonable statement to make. But as someone who worked uh, in the J-League for three seasons 
that's where I started as a journalist and spent a huge amount of time um, talking to Japanese footballers, talking to coaches, talking to foreign players and coaches who worked in Japan because all of the Japanese um, major clubs would use their foreign quota heavily. Um, I just don't think he's right in it being uh, uh, Japanese being a bigger cultural challenge than other countries. Um, why? Because coaching without Japanese language ability in the J-League is absolutely standard, has been absolutely standard. Um, there's a culture of hiring foreign coaches and obviously um, very, very few foreign coaches come to Japanese football being able to speak Japanese. Therefore, you use translators. They're very competent translators there and the players are accustomed to having a coach who's using a translator. If you go through the history of the J-League, 13 of the 28 titles have been won by teams who employed foreign coaches, either for the whole season or for the part of the season they won the title. And even this uh, current season, so the J-League now almost into its fourth decade, um, and you know a lot of expertise has been developed by Japanese coaches and, and players. Even this season, nine of the 20 coaches who started the season were foreigners. So I would say if, just to, to assess Postacoglu's claim, imagine a, a, a leading Japanese coach had been hired as Celtic manager um, instead of him and he didn't have uh, enough English language ability or, or, or very little English language ability and wanted to coach with a translator. Imagine the degree of challenge that would have in being accepted by the media, by the players, and by the supporters. I think I think just in that one example, you find a bigger cultural challenge than what Postacoglu did. Um, let's see how he gets on with the with the real challenge, which is unseating Rangers at a, at a club that um, has quite a few problems in its organisation at present. That's where we are in terms of heroes and villains for this week. Uh, we um, are pleased to have brought you the podcast uh, with much news and many, many stories, uh, albeit uh, a little later than normal. Um, please, you still have time to vote for us as Podcast of the Year on British Podcast Awards. Uh, also, uh, you can join us in debate on all the usual uh, media platforms uh, at Transfer Podcast, etc. Give us a five-star review on iTunes if you feel that we have done you proud, which we hope that we have. And we will be back at the end of the week. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. 